Views expressed on this program are those of the sponsors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Indices mentioned are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Asset allocation and diversification strategies cannot assure profit or protect against loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Capital Retirement Strategies and Cambridge Investment Research are not affiliated. All right, welcome to... Great. Thanks, Dave, for uh, starting us off with a nice throat clearing as yeah, I welcome it's everyone. Not a real radio station has something called a cough button. Okay. But your makeshift podcast studio, or as we like to call it, your office. Right. With, with me couple, sitting on the couch with my feet up. And a couple not, microphones purchased off Amazon. Does not have a cough button. You so. know what? If I had to spend $60 on the microphones, I could have gotten the cough button. But we spent $50 and we wow. didn't get a cough button. You know, if I, I think I would have said, yeah, you're right. We don't need a cough button. You know. So that was good. I'm with you on that, actually. All right, good. See, these are the kind of wise financial decisions that we're making behind the scenes to try to help out our clients. And that's what we want to talk about today is how people make financial decisions and the kind of time that they spend thinking about their finances. And we wanted to talk about this because I saw this humorous article I don't know if uh, our listeners are familiar with The Onion. Right? The Onion is a – it's basically a fake news site, right? And, and I'm not talking, you know, fake news as in – Not fake news as in CNN. Right. As in, or the Washington Post and the New York Times. Not no, that kind of fake news. Not the Amazon Washington Post or the failing New York Times. This is l- legitimately what they do is they take stories and they make up things. Um, and every once in a while, this has happened to me, I don't know if it's happened to you over the years, you click on an article and you don't realize it's from The Onion, and you start reading it and you're like, I, I can't believe this, right. this is crazy. Right. Like, I remember reading, I mean, this is way off topic here, but I remember reading this one about um, Les Miles, who was the coach for LSU, football coach, Yeah. right? And it was talking about how they lost this game and this eight-year-old girl said something to him and he started berating the eight-year-old girl, right? And it was like this whole tirade. And I finished reading the article and I was like, I can't believe this. And it wasn't true. It was right. on The Onion, right? So, right? so is this story true? I don't actually know if it's true, but I think it's funny anyway, right? Okay, so I'm going to post this this link to this possibly true, possibly not right. story. So this really may be fake news yeah, in all seriousness. News, but it, you know. it, it kind of makes a, a good point. And then I'm going to reference a real news article that kind of goes along the same lines. Um, and the headline of this article is that study finds Americans do most financial planning when figuring out how to get their money's worth at a buffet, right? So basically what they're talking about is uh, they're saying that people perform the best calculations of the trade-offs of 
what they want to have versus what they're going to have later, You know, what to have now, what to have later when they're at a buffet. Uh, here's a quote from the article. Our data shows that Americans devote the greatest amount of attention to allocating their resources when determining how much value they can wring from offerings at their local uh, you know, Golden Corral or buffet. Um, noting that some participants will – lost my place in here um, – refrain from eating for several hours before going to the buffet, order only water to avoid empty calories. They show an unprecedented level of foresight and thinking when heaping their plate with the most yes. expensive meat and seafood. This sounds like America to me. Yeah. And I'm not only that, they mentioned that some people are savvy enough. They think ahead of time. They go to the buffet right as the breakfast is ending and lunch is starting. Right? This way, they can get some of the breakfast food and indulge in the lunch food. Right? Wow. That is. This sounds like a real story to me, not a fake story. I think this is what people actually do is try to strategize. That's an well, example of this nonsense okay. that occurs see, sometimes. What, what this article talking about weighing the options in the buffet line made me think of is the article that you'll commonly see, You know, maybe once a year you'll see this article, this research cited, where they talk about how Americans spend more time planning their retirement more time planning their vacation than they do planning their retirement. You always, that's an annual, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a a staple. You'll see that all the time. And so I dug this up uh, from, you know, some website or another. Workers spend more time planning vacation than retirement. Um, You know, and they go through a whole list of facts here. This is a real study. I'm confident of this. There's a thousand people that were surveyed by Charles Schwab. And they said that they spend uh, – it's 39% of the people spend more than five hours planning their vacation. Meanwhile, a mere 11% said they spent more than five hours planning their retirement. Right, because planning a vacation is – what's the word I'm looking for? Fun. <laughs> vacation is something you enjoy. Not that you wouldn't enjoy retirement, but planning for it. Right. Doing the work is no fun. <laughs> And it involves having to see what money you have. It involves some negative things like, oh my gosh, look how much more money I have to get to before I can retire. It is not fun. As a matter of fact, it is, we sometimes use this analogy, it's the financial planning version of going to the dentist. Yeah, and I mean, especially if you're somebody... You know, personally, I've I've had some dental issues in my life, so I don't get real excited about going to the dentist because you know I know they might find something. I don't have dental issues, but you have a cleaning. You've ever had a cleaning before? I mean, I have. I tend to have plaque no matter what, and I'm a very good brusher and flosser, but I'm just a guy who builds up plaque. Right. So every cleaning sucks. Yeah. That's a perfect analogy. Every cleaning is going to hurt a little. There'll be a couple of jolts where I'm like, <laughs> did they go, did that hurt? I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> except it did. Right. You and it's no fun. A, you don't want to make the hygienist feel bad, but exactly. it really did hurt But when you lot. stuck that nail thing and it went flying into my gum, yeah, a <laughs> little pain. painful. So I, I just did a quick, as we were preparing for this uh, podcast, I just jotted down some things that, okay, I'm in the business. You know, every, you know, probably once a year, my wife will say, shouldn't we, you know, sit down with our retirement plan? You know, shouldn't right. my financial planner, which is me, 
shouldn't you know he sit down with me and I'll run the retirement projections and you know investment analysis and we'll feel good about it and that's it. Um, but I, I just jotted down here if I'm a regular person and I'm going to try to spend more time thinking about my finances than I do about my vacation or certainly about my buffet line choices. What do I think is reasonable and what are the categories? So here's what I jotted down. Um, retirement projections, right? We, we all should be doing this to see, are we on track to retire? Have we saved enough? You know, what are the assumptions that we're making to get there? Right. Um, I don't think it has to be, you know, a hundred hours on each one of these things, but I'm jotting down saying, you know, basically spend an hour on each one of these, right? Um, investment options slash choices. Now, pretty much everybody out there is invested in some sort of company retirement plan. You should evaluate every year. What are the choices available to me? Am I invested in the right way? Has it been five years since I've revisited this? Right? A lot of people, they, they do this. They take all the stuff we're saying to heart. They do it now, and then they go five, six, seven, ten years before they do it again. Right. Um, your insurance coverage. You should be evaluating this every year. You should look, do I have enough life insurance? Do I, is it time to get long-term care insurance? You know, if I have a policy, you know, frankly, I guess they probably don't need to evaluate that every year. I mean, your, your take you on don't. that is... You just have to pay the premium every year because right. it's really the kind of thing, long-term care insurance, you do it once, if you do it correctly, and you pay the premium, and then you really need to evaluate it when you need to use it. But that's a whole other thing. But quite frankly, our clients just call me yeah. when they have questions or claims. Yeah. Um, and then I jotted down a few other miscellaneous things. You know, the tax impact of you know making investment choices or whatever investments you hold. Um, estate planning. You know, that can involve a whole host of other things. You know, so this is a in a person they're not at retirement. They're not looking to retire. I jotted these things down, and four or five hours per year could cover all that. Sure. I think, uh, right. You know, and and when you're far from retirement, you don't have to mess around with your investments as long as they're good investments or they're set up for you know long-term growth in your 401k. You don't have to do a lot of messing around with those. As a matter of fact, that's what leads to problems. So, But right. to adjust it, to review it a, each year, sure, that's a good idea. Well, okay. So I made this list here just thinking of myself. If I was a, a layperson, not a financial advisor, what would I need to do? Now, this list is going to look a lot different if you're someone who's getting close to retirement, right? Because now you've got this whole other element of withdrawal strategies. And withdrawal strategies, you know, they can be relatively simple, can be pretty complicated, depending on your situation. I mean, some people we meet with, you know, they basically say, hey, I've got this pension that'll be coming in. That nah, takes care of all my expenses. That's my withdrawal strategy. Some people, they're piecing together a little bit of pension, a little bit of social security, money from this account, money from that account. I'll, you know, My pension doesn't start till later, so I'll have these gap years with no income or little income. And you're trying to figure out you know, where do you pull the money from, balance the tax impact with you know, the, the impact of you know, pulling from different types of investments. Um, 
that could probably, if you're getting close to retirement, that could probably be another four or five hours on its own. Right. And then there's some people who I think fall into the category of do not do this on your own. And I would say only Social Security mm-hmm. for retirement. There's no pension anywhere. Right. And assets in the, I would call it between 300000 and $1.5 million. Mm-hmm. So now you're in a category, well, it's not like you're poor. It's not no. like it's hopeless, right. but it's not like you're super rich. Now you really need to do those withdrawal strategies because you are certainly going to be withdrawing money from your 401k and IRAs and other retirement assets. Now, to me, that's not for the layperson to do. To, yeah, well, to me, you have to find a financial planner or unless you're really – this would be the financial planning version of I know so much about cars that I have my own thing that goes under the car that has wheels on it, and I do all that stuff on my own. Right. Okay, yes, there are some people who have that thing with wheels on it who do things under the car. You could tell I'm not one of those people. <laughs> yeah. But for the most part, that's that's one less than well, 1% of the population. And I mean, your point there is that you know when you've got assets in those range – in that range, yes, you're doing well. You know, let's say you've got seven, eight hundred thousand dollars. No one's going to say, "Well, gosh, you're poor. You haven't saved saved anything." But the problem is that it's doable, but it's also not that hard to screw up. I mean, you you have you know one bad market and then some bad decision making in there. All of a sudden, you can screw that up. It's not like you're so ultra wealthy that you say, "You know what." If I lose 30% of my account, it hurts, but right. I'm okay. Right. And some of these other scenarios closer to retirement, I still think it makes sense to have an advisor. It's just that you could have more room to mess up without one. Sure. When it comes to no pension and only Social Security and not millions in the bank or in retirement assets, it's a much more dangerous scenario when you know what we know so now speaking of retirement that was the other thing we wanted to talk about today was that article i told you about and then you just read it about the girl the woman yeah who is retired at 27 or 28 years old i don't even have this in front of me so well i had pulled it up in front of me real quickly and basically I think the gist of it was, you know, she moved to New York City, she got a job, she moved up, she saved a ton of money, right? She was really good at saving. And as you pointed out, she also did this during the one of the greatest right. bull markets. So she basically started working after, right after she went to Harvard. She's yep. about 28 or 29 now. So the last seven or eight years is when she started working. She started out with a big six-figure income. Yeah. And even though she was in New York City, saved as much as she could. Sounds like she's been married for a while, so maybe her husband's salary mm-hmm. paid for their expenses, and she saved as much as she could. Now, what's and it's great that she's, quote, retired, but let's dig a little bit deeper. A, she saved all as much as she could making a good six-figure income during the one of the greatest bull markets of all time. So she was investing it and everything was going almost all up. Right. And, and I mean, I guess my big takeaway on that. Um, That's a good seven years to be doing this project. Well, it's fantastic. She couldn't have timed it better. But I mean, my big takeaway, and you've probably seen a lot of articles out there saying this lately, is that you've got to have more muted expectations for returns going forward. You know, when you're coming off the heels of a bull market like this, it, you're just not 
you know, I don't know what the average is the last five years, you know, 13% per year in the market, something like that. You're just not going to get returns like that going forward. Um, you know, I, we've been telling people that over the next decade, we expect returns for stocks to be in the 7 to 8% range, not the 9 to 10% that they've gotten used to. And returns for bonds, they've got to be thinking 2 to 4%. Um, you know, this idea that bonds are going to get me 5 or 6%, the math just doesn't add up there. Right. So then the rest of this story was, now she's, quote, retired, and she says, and now we're, I'm, we're going to live off of my money at the tune of 70000 a year. It's about 3.5% withdrawal rate mm-hmm. over $2.5 million. So we're going to get 70000 and... Now, also, I'm I'm pregnant and going to have a baby, and my husband is still going to work. Okay, okay, wait a second. And she's, you're not really just living off the seventy thousand a year. You're living off the seventy plus your husband's income. Right? Are you really retired, or are you now going to be a mom? Right, a stay at home mom. And you made a good amount of money. And then the other issue that you and I know is, you could sustain at three and a half percent withdrawal rate, a. 25-year retirement, 30-year mm-hmm. retirement, but 30 years, she's only going to be like 57. Yeah. She needs she's to not going to be 87. A 50- or 60-year horizon. So, come on. <laughs> it's not, that to me is not, and it, no matter where they live, could this couple live off $67,000 a year if the husband wasn't working? That would be like real retirement Yeah, for a couple. So I kind of look at that as, Hey, not knocking her. It's great. Save that money is should be comfortable going forward. Not knocking at all, and shows how much you can actually save and grow sure. in a good market. But to say, oh yeah, here's someone. The headline: woman retires at 28 after only working seven years. You got to dig a little, a little deeper. Deceptive. All right. Well, make good choices when you're out at the buffet lines, and we'll talk to you soon.